We're doing a series here on love. And um, I'm upping the bar a little bit in terms of the content. Uh, some of this stuff is uh, going to be a little difficult to follow at times. But we're giving some support around that. We have a website, whchurch.org, and you can get on the website and download the sermon notes. You'll see what I see when I'm preaching it, and we have a study guide that our discipleship team is putting together to go along with that. And uh, we encourage you individually and as small groups to download this stuff, to chew on it, to look up the passages, to pray on it, because what is so, so, so vital is that we get this internalized. Uh, this, this is the center of the center. I've, I've really been overwhelmed, actually, by how much that's being used. We had over 1,500 people download a message a, a couple weeks ago. And that, that, see, that excites me. That means we're turning this into a classroom, and we are disciples learning what love is all about, how we're loved, how God is loved, and how we're to love other people. And that's, that's, that's good stuff. That's what this is. We're doing classroom stuff here. So I'm going to do a quick review on what we've covered the last month or so. Very quick. If you haven't been here before, if you've missed a couple, some of this might be a little uh, difficult to follow. I encourage you to get the tapes and to get the study guides and, and to catch up to speed. But here's what we've seen so far. Number one, the purpose for which God created the world is uh, uh, to overflow with love. God is unsurpassable love as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's desire is to glorify Himself by expressing who He is. And He does that by creating beings who are in His image who have a hole in the soul, a God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. And God wants to pour the fullness that He is, the very same love, into us so that we are full, and then we do what He did to us, we overflow towards others. And if this is being done in God's original plan, God's triunity, His triune love would be expanded, it would be mirrored, and God would be glorified. He'd be on display, and that's, that's the end for which God created the world. We get to participate in the love that God is. Number two, living in fullness, we saw, is centered on honoring the no trespassing sign in the middle of the garden. That's the tree of the, the knowledge of the good and evil. It's in the middle of the garden, which means that the garden revolves around us. Living the life that God wants us to live in the garden hangs on our respecting the boundary between God and us. And that boundary is marked by the knowledge of good and evil. And what God is saying there is this. We are to leave all judgment to Him. We are to be lovers, not judges. God reserves for Himself the right. It's His prerogative of God to be the one who ultimately decides good and evil. Our job is just to love without judgment. Amen? That's the domain of responsibility that we are given. That's, that's how we are to be in the image of God. The third thing is that the enemy begins to move us towards trespassing this, uh, violating this no trespassing sign, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and thinking that we have the right to be judges rather than just lovers, by lying to us about who God is and about who we are. He gets us to accept a judgment about God and a judgment about, about ourselves that is not true. The enemy is really getting Eve to, to uh, savor some of the fruit of the tree before she ever eats of it because she's starting to, to uh, uh, buy into judgment. And that lie blocks the flow of God to us, and therefore we become empty. Uh, the, the lie creates emptiness inside of us. And when God is filling the vacuum in our soul... Something else has got to fill it. There's just a vacuum there. And so number four, what happens is we, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks, Eve moves to the center. She asserts her will where it doesn't belong. She becomes the center of the garden. This is what life in the flesh is all about. It's living as though you are the center, as though things are revolved around you, and therefore as though you have the right to judge who is good and who is evil. Eve moves to the center and violates the no trespassing sign. And the result of that, when Eve does it and when we do it, 
is that we live in empty doing rather than self and self-serving judgment rather than full being and overflowing love. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you understand that terminology. Our life now is, is a life lived out of a vacuum, trying to get full and, and deciding what is good and evil based on how it meets our needs rather than living life out of the celebration of the full being that we have in Jesus Christ, overflowing with love towards one another. Here's another diagram. I, I, just, I think in pictures, and so I, I always think in diagrams if this works lose it if it doesn't ignore it but but here's another way of thinking about it it's like you can contrast the way the life that god has for us with the life that the enemy has for us in in terms of two cycles there's a cycle of fullness and a cycle of emptiness the cycle of fullness is based on truth it's the truth of who god is and the truth of who we are and that's about life and that's about love because god is about life and god is about love that God overflows towards us and gives us full being the truth the life the love flows into us and now we our identity Our I am is full. And out of the fullness of that, we do a lot of things, sometimes outrageous, self-sacrificial things, but we do it to express who we already are. That's what we talked about last week. And that expressing, that doing itself feeds back into the truth. It reconfirms the truth of who God is and who we are. It's a a self-fulfilled prophecy. It's a cycle that feeds back in uh, on itself. It loops on itself. Now, the enemy wants a different cycle going, and this is what life in the flesh is. The enemy starts with a lie, starts with a judgment about God and about us. This then creates emptiness in us. Instead of walking with the identity of who I am, we walk in the identity of who we're not and what we need to do to get to be something we're not. And so our doing then is a desperate kind of doing. It's not a doing out of fullness. It's a doing. It's a strategy to get life. Everybody, to some degree, lives life trying to feed the hunger of their soul. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Who sang that song? Bruce Springsteen, nice peppy song with terrible lyrics, but it's true. You know, I got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack, made a wrong turn and I'm not going back. You know, everyone's got a hungry heart. You know, that's, they, we live life out of hunger. Whatever we do, uh, it, it's motivated by hunger, trying to fill the hole in the soul that is shaped like God. And see, the very act of doing it, the very act of engaging in that doing just reconfirms the lie and reconfirms the judgment in our life. The cycle of emptiness. See, God calls us to live a life of outrageous love. Outrageous love. But unless we are moved out of the cycle of emptiness into the cycle of fullness, we'll never be able to do that. If we're still living in the identity of the flesh, living out of emptiness, the oughts, the, the, the mandate to love like God loves is simply one more ought, one more should, one more better do, one more rule that we try to fulfill to get something we don't already have. We're trying to get God to like us or, or whatever, and we won't be able to live in outrageous love. What needs to happen, if this is going to happen, is for us to really know what it is to get life from God. Now, what we saw was that Jesus Christ breaks the cycle of, of emptiness. He breaks the lie. He reveals the truth about who God is, and He reveals the truth about who we are. And so what we saw last week was that in Christ, if we're thinking accurately... Everything we need, we've already got. We're full in Christ Jesus. The only problem, really, is that we think we've got a problem, and so we spend all of our time trying to get what He's already given us for free, and the very act of trying to get it prevents us from experiencing it for free. We're in the wrong loop. So what God wants us to do is to really align our identity, our life, with the truth of Jesus Christ. 
Now, here's the question I'm asking this morning with an intensity. How do we internalize this? How do we get it into our head? How do we reprogram ourselves? I mean, it's one thing to have a nice bit of information, but information is not transformation. We need transformation, not just information. So how do we get it into our cranium? That's what I'm asking here. How do we internalize this? And this week I've been thinking about this. What's the most expedient way to really get it on the inside of our ears? And the Lord led me in a direction that was a little bit unexpected. Um, There's a thing I've been thinking about and and, uh, chewing on for a little bit. I didn't know quite when I was going to give it, and I felt like I was supposed to give it this week, uh, to my surprise. The best way to internalize our identity in Christ, to really begin to activate the fullness that we have in Christ, the Lord was telling me, is to teach us about our name. To teach us about our name. I know you have some of you have puzzling looks on your face. You'll see what I'm talking about here. Because the way the ancient Jews preserved their identity as covenant people was largely by the names they called themselves. Let me read from Daniel chapter 1. This doesn't look like it has much to do with our identity. It doesn't look like it has much to do with love. But you'll see that it has everything to do with our identity and everything to do with, with love. Daniel chapter 1. Now, the scene here is this. The Jews have been taken captive to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar wants to raise up the best and the brightest of the Israelite youth in order to indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon so that they'll become leaders of the other Israelites so that he can absorb all the Israelites into Babylonian culture. So these are the best and the brightest. And it says this, Among those chosen for service in Babylon, the best and the brightest that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to indoctrinate, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official, working for Nebuchadnezzar, gave them new names. To Daniel, the name of Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And you're wondering, so what? Well, here's the thing. The problem we have with understanding this, this concept of naming is that to us, names are pretty meaningless. What is your name? Kathy. What does Kathy mean? Huh. Uh, what is your name? Teresa. What does Teresa mean? Yeah, no one knows. Well, probably somebody here does know, but whatever that is, I mean, once upon a time, our names probably meant something, but we don't grow up with that. I'm Greg. So what? I could be called Charlie. I could be called Bill. I could be called Sue for all I care. And wouldn't me say, well, maybe Sue would mean, but I'd be a boy named Sue. Uh, but uh, you see, it doesn't say anything about us. It's just a meaningless, it's just a meaningless sound. Greg. If you say it enough, it sounds weird. Greg. Greg. Gregory. Gregory. You know, what's, what is it? You might as well call me Kabika Bagabaga. Hey, Kabika Come over here. And see, all it is is a tag. It's just a little hook so that my, I'm neurologically programmed. Whenever, whenever anyone says Greg or if it was Kabika it wouldn't matter. I turn. It's like, oh, that's who I am. But see, it doesn't say anything about me. Names are just extraneous external things that get laughed on us as sort of a, you know, a little, little pull there. It's, it's, it's just... It doesn't, it, it doesn't reveal anything about our essence, anything about who we are. In the Bible, it was very, very different than that. In the Bible, words in general had power. In fact, in most ancient cultures, they believed that words had a power, an inherent power there. And in fact, this is a true thing. Totally foreign to Western culture. I'll be teaching more about it in, in, in the future weeks. But there's a power in words. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says that in the, with the tongue lies the power of life and death. The tongue has the power to bless and to curse. 
and in, in, and in the ancient world in general, and the Bible specifically, a blessing and a curse was more than just a nice word or an offensive word. It had a power there. It, it, it brought about some reality. Words in general have power in the Bible, but the, the most powerful word pertaining to a person is their name. Their name. A name, the, word, the, the concept of name, Shem in Hebrew, is, it means to mark out, to designate. And in the Bible, the concept of name is this. It is your essence. It, 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 it describes who you are. It, it's a mission statement on you. It's like a vow or a prophecy over you. And it has a power to form who you are. It has a power psychologically because we're wired so that as we think, so we act, so we become. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. We're wired for that. The, 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 the name that you associate with, you, you eventually become. But even more than that, there's a spiritual authority here. Names that are aligned with God release divine energy to bring about the reality of that name. And names that are aligned with the enemy bring about a demonic energy to, to form the person in that. It's the essence of a person. In fact, the name was part of who the person was. It's not just, it, it not only does the name express who you are, it's just something about who you are, but a name is part of who you are. That's why the Bible talks in a lot of ways that we don't understand. We just get so used to it, we don't notice that we don't understand it. For example, the Lord says, you know, call upon my name. Well, why? Why call upon my name? It's like my name's over there. Call upon my name. It's right over there. What, what does that mean? Uh, my name shall go up before you, he says. I will cause my name to dwell in the temple. How do you cause a name to dwell in the temple? Well, see, if you understand the concept of name, you, you can't divorce the name from the person. They're, they're, they're one and the same. The, the name reveals the innermost essence of a person. It's a window to their soul. Hebrew names were always in sentences. They didn't just, you know, it wasn't just a word, Greg. It was a sentence. It meant something. And again, this was like a prophecy. This was a vow spoken over a child. You, did, did you see the movie uh, Dances with Wolves? Native Americans did the same thing. They, they would, in a lot of cultures, they named people with sentences. So here's this guy, they don't know who he is, but they saw him dances with wolves, so his name is Dances with Wolves. It's your name. Hey, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I'm over here. The other girl's name was Stands with a Fist, because she did that one time, and she's always kind of angry, so she is Stands with a Fist. They named people according to sentences. And in Hebrew culture, and here's what we have to see, godly parents... The senses they gave their kids, the, 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 the I am that they gave their children, wrapped up with the covenant. This is how the covenant was, was carried on. They wanted their children's name to reflect the God that they were in covenant with. So that who God is was wrapped up in them and who they are is wrapped up in God. So their names usually were reflections about God, something about God. So Daniel, for example, Daniel means God is my judge or God is my deliverer. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. He's, he's, the, he's the, uh, the unparalleled one. How great God is. No one is like God. That's my name. How would you give a name like that? Hey, no one is like God. And you go, yeah? Yeah, no one is like God. Would you come over here and help me out here? Hey, hey the Lord is gracious. Yes, yes, did you call me? See, and you grew up, you look in the mirror, and you think the Lord is gracious to me. The Lord is my helper. That was Azariah's name. That was their identity. Who they were said more about who God was, you see, than who, than who they were. But actually, it says a lot about who they were, because they, their very essence is defined by the relationship with God. It's a sentence that is there. 
It has psychological power. You grow up saying, I am the Lord is gracious. I am God is my helper. I am no one is like God. And that gets seared into you psychologically. But because it's in congruity with truth, it releases a spiritual energy. There's power behind it. It's a very biblical, uh, biblical concept. Ancient people in general believe this. Nebuchadnezzar believed this. He knew this. Which is why the first thing he does with these Jewish youths when he wants to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture is he wants to change their name. I want these kids to really have buy-in to my program because they're going to be the leaders of these other Israelites. And he doesn't try to confront them and say, you've got to believe in my gods, not your gods. That would be way too obvious. They, they would reject that. They'd say, get lost. It's got to be much more subtle. He doesn't even first send them to education and, and have them read Babylonian books and study Babylonian astrology and, and all of that. He'll do that later. But the first thing you've got to do if you want to really get a person is you've got to name them. You've got to give them a new identity. You've got to change how they see themselves. You've got to change what they answer to. You've got to change what goes on in their head when they look in the mirror. And so he gives them new names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. No longer think of yourself as God is my judge. Belshazzar means guarded by Bel. Guarded by Bel, and Bel was the chief god in Babylon. So Daniel, when you look in the mirror, the name, the name that should come to your mind is Bel is my guard, not God. Bel watches over me. And now, when he goes to school, kids will be saying, hey, Bel watches over me. And he's got to say yes. And in time, that will begin to seep in. That, that's Nebuchadnezzar's hope. Uh, and he'll change who he is. There's a new mission statement, a new vow, a new prophecy. You now belong to Bell. Hananiah. Hananiah, which did mean the Lord is gracious, that's changed to Shadrach. And scholars uh, differ on exactly what this name meant, but it meant something like, under Aku's command, Aku was the moon god. And now we want your I am to be, I'm under Aku's command. That's that, that's. That's who you're going to answer to. That's the sentence that's going to go on in your head when you think about yourself. You're under Aku's command. Mishael was called Meshach, which so far as uh, scholars can tell means something like, who is like Shishak? No longer who is like God. Forget that. You can't be walking around with that identity. Well, you'll never be any good to us in Babylon. You've got to be, go around uh, with the, the essence of uh, this. Who is like Shishak? Shishak was the god of lust and the god of drink. Uh, the god of, of pornography. It was one of the gods in, in the Babylonian pantheon. And so uh, now he wants this person to be walking around. Instead of saying, oh, God is unparalleled, he's really walking around saying, my name is sex is unparalleled. There's nothing like sex. There's nothing like drunkenness. Slight change in nuances there, don't you think? You see? He's trying to get a new I am installed there. As Raya, you'll be called Abednego, which, which, which really means slave of Nebo. Slave of Nebo, uh, the fire god. Uh, you, you need to understand that you are his slave now. And, and so you name this. This is your new essence. This is your new identity. This is your new mission statement. This is who you are. And you're only going to answer to this. And people are going to be calling you this. Uh, officials are going to be calling you this. When you look in the mirror, you're going to be calling yourself this. Because you get that in, it, it psychologically and spiritually begins the form and shape of the person. This is why God frequently changed names of people. If you're going to change the, the, the mission of a person, you've got to change your name in, in the Hebrew mindset. So he calls, for example, Abram. Abram was a pagan name. It meant uh, good father or exalted father. A nice name by pagan standards. But God says, oh, I've got a much higher calling for you than that. I'm going to change your mission. I'm going to change who you are. You are going to be not Abram, but Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. 
The Father of all who will believe. Change the mission, you change the name. Uh, Jesus says to Simon, no longer are you going to be Simon. The word means shifty sand. I don't know why his mother would name him that, but he was called shifty sand. And the Lord's saying, I can't have a pillar of the church walking around saying, hi, I'm shifty sand. You can't build anything on shifty sand. So I'm going to rename you Petros. Uh, and that means rock-like, solid-like. You're like a rock. This is who you are now because I've called you and I'm making you to be this. Get that in your head. This is your, the new sentence that is to define you. The final thing in terms of background here about Hebrew names is this. You need to know that the one who named another had authority over them. Because they pronounced the blessing or they pronounced the curse. They defined them. So God, when he would rename a place or something, uh, would, would uh, um, uh, show that he has authority over it. Luz is no longer going to be Luz. It's going to be Bethel, which is house of God. Okay, and, and the name has power to it. It's not just that you didn't name it because it was more friendly to the Israelite way of thinking. It was you know, a little bit softer, it was a little bit sweeter, it was a little bit cute. We think of names like this, but the Bible doesn't. The name contains something of the power. This is the house of God, so that name uh, uh, holds some of that reality. That is, incidentally, one of the reasons why I am really uh, forced praying about a name change. It's supposed to say something about us. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mission statement. There's power in that. It's not just a gimmick thing. It's not even a gimmick thing. It's a, it's a spiritual alignment thing. Are you aligned with who God is, and, and are you expressing the essence of what God has called you to be? So God changes names frequently. It's a way of his saying, I have authority over that. When parents name their children, it's a way of their saying, I have authority over this. Now, the kids also had free will, and, and, and uh, they could make their own decisions. But that conferring of authority, that speaking of an essence, that ascribing of identity, placing into that child an I am statement, was a strong psychological and spiritual force to them becoming what the parent named them. An awesome responsibility in ancient, in, in ancient uh, Jewish culture uh, in naming people. So also, when, when, when Adam is given authority over the animals, first thing God has him do, and now you can understand why this is the case, he says, you name the animals. Genesis chapter 2. You name them. You're going to say what they really are, because you have authority there. Now keep that in mind as we turn to this. Our name, our tag, our label, Greg, Sue, Carol, whatever, is not really our name. Now, socially, that's, that's what turns our head. But nothing about me is, is wrapped up into the meaning of Greg because Greg means nothing to me. But the principle that we are named is still universally true. There are sentences that we have, sentences that we absorb. I am statements that describe us to ourselves. And on a psychological level and on a spiritual level, they are either in congruity with the truth or they're not in congruity with the truth. Either way, they release power. The I am names that we name ourselves um, are, are blessings or curses in our life and they shape us, they form us, they move us, they define us, they mark us out, they designate us. When, 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 when a child is born into this world, it doesn't have an editing system in its head. It's by God's design. It would have worked wonderful if the world hadn't been fallen. But we're born asking the question, who am I? Uh, who's my authority? Who's going to define me? What is the sentence? What's my mission statement? What's the sentence that defines my essence? What am I about? And that can be a blessing if, if what you absorb from your parents or from, from the world or whatever, if what you absorb was, I'm a success, I'm going to be something great. Well, that's a blessing. Okay, It speaks blessing into you. You walk in that identity and then you manifest that reality. 
But that same principle in a fallen world often turns into a curse. When the I am statements you absorbed were I am ugly. Some sixth grade boy on the bus uh, tells you you're ugly in front of everybody and you believe him because you're only in third grade. And, and so now part of, part of your name is I am ugly. I am boys don't really want to ever hang out with me. And there's this, even a spiritual authority there. The enemy loves to come and kill, steal, and destroy. And something gets killed every time you say that to yourself. You see, I am stupid. I am incompetent. I amount to nothing. I am pleasure giver for males. Uh, sexually abused women often have that. My, my identity is giving pleasure to males. I am loser. I, am, I, I, am, I can do nothing by myself. And psychologically it forms you, and spiritually there's power on that. Demonic power that helps shape the reality. My, my experience I've shared before here, part of my name was I am bad. I am bad. Grandmother around Christmas time comes home with presents. I don't get one. Everyone wants to know how come Greg doesn't get a present. And the, the curse spoken, the naming was, Greg is a bad boy and bad boys don't get presents for Christmas. And so, boom, I, I, don't know any, I don't have an editing system. I don't have any kind of way of screening that out. I just absorb it. I am bad. And I don't deserve presents. And you walk in that. You live that out, it begins to shape you, and the enemy loves it and gives spiritual energy to it, and now that's part of what's going on in your being. It wasn't until about two years ago where I really uh, got okay getting gifts. Because there's this part of me, part of my name was, I don't deserve gifts. And so, even though I didn't think it consciously, I never really could celebrate a gift. It was only in the process of raising money for this building where the Lord says, you know what? It's time to collapse that one. I, I, I love to give you gifts. Just It's about who I am, not who you are. I was very, very freeing. You see, you absorbed it. Part of my name was I am troublemaker because I was always making trouble. Why? Because I was always bad. And so I, I'm always trouble to authorities. Part of my name was I am alone. Part of my name was I have to survive on my own. Part of my name is I feel nothing. It, see, some of the names that we, we have maybe weren't explicitly given to us. They're covenants we made with ourselves, vows we took about ourselves. Drawing conclusions, whatever stage of life we're at, we drew a conclusion to help as a strategy for surviving, and it was understandable. But that turns into a curse when we live in it. It's the sense that defines us. It marks us out. And when it marks you out, you only feel really in congruity with yourself when you're doing it. There's, I didn't like always being bad, but I felt right being bad. You see, it's, 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 we're wired for congruity. We're wired so that the name, the real name in our head, gets manifested. That's, that's part, of, part of the creation's design. A woman who, is, who has been named, uh, I, am, I am sexual pleasure to a man, she may become a Christian, she may detest uh, being promiscuous, she might, she might even be able to abstain from it, but there's something always off. There's always a pull, there's always a longing, there's always a kind of emptiness. Why? Because she's living in a lie, and the lie attaches to her I am. It's, it's part of her identity. And so there's, there's always a, a sense of bondage that is there. And this is why Christians struggle, though Christ is Lord and we serve an all-powerful God and, and, and uh, in principle the enemy's been defeated in our life, though all that is true, we still go back to the same things. We live beneath the level of victory and beneath the level of righteousness that God calls us to. Why? Is it just because our will is screwed up? I don't believe so. It's because we're, we're still living in old names, old identities that psychologically and spiritually form us. It is impossible to live and experience the reality of the fullness of God if your name is I am emptiness. 
It's impossible to live in the full freedom of God if your name is any version of I am bondage. It's impossible to celebrate the grace of God if your name is I am worker. It's impossible to celebrate the the love of God if your name is I am unloved. It's impossible to really celebrate uh, dependency on God if your name is I survive on my own. It's impossible to feel much of anything. I don't care how Christian you are. If part of your name is I never get hurt, I feel nothing. You see, the name blocks the flow of God's life in and through us. So the question I've got to ask is this. What is your name? And I don't mean Charlie, and I don't mean Bill, and I don't mean Dwayne, and Antoinette. I mean, what, 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 is, what is the I am that's in your life? What are the I am's that are in your life? What are the sentences that describe you? What congruity with God or with the enemy is created in your mind by the names that we call ourselves? What we need to understand this morning here is this. And this is good. When you become a believer, you got to know God gives you a new name. Amen? God gives you a new name. Oh, yes. And that's not, a, that's not just a new label. You know, when I was confirmed in third grade, they had the right concept, but it didn't have any meaning to it. And when I was confirmed, they gave me a, a confirmation name. Catholics get that? Mine was Joseph. I got it named Joseph because I liked Mary, and I wasn't allowed to be called Mary. So Joseph was married to Mary, so I figured that was you know the next best thing. So I named my confirmation name was Joseph. Unfortunately, Joseph meant nothing more than Greg did. You see, but but the concept when when you become a believer, when you're confirmed to Jesus Christ, you get a new name. It's powerful if you understand the biblical significance of name. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 62. It's a prophecy here. The nation shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. Everybody say new name. name. That the mouth of the Lord will give. Not the mouth of the pagans any longer. No, the mouth of the Lord will give this name to you. You shall be called uh, a new name. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. Praise God. A royal diadem in the hand of God. Hallelujah. You shall no more be called forsaken. Your name will no longer be uh, forsaken. But you shall be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. Your name shall be called Hephzibah. you got a new name here, a new identity, a new direction, a new essence in your life. And it is Hephzibah. I am no longer called by the name Forsaken. I am called by the name Hephzibah. I am Hephzibah, for I delight the Lord. Hallelujah. That's who I am. He's given me a new name. He's given you a new name. And it's time you shut that little twerp up and I was on the bus in sixth grade and gave you that name that you are ugly. Because what you got to know is this. He didn't have the authority to do that in the first place, but it's time that you, under the authority of Jesus Christ, cancel that diabolic authority and take a new name. You're a crown of jewels in the, in the hand of God. You're a royal diadem. You radiate. You're marvelous. You ravish the heart of God. You're altogether beautiful. That's who you are. Answer to that name and none other. That's your I am. What we need, saints of God, is this, to have our I am defined by the great I am. Amen? Amen. So that who we are is defined by Him and by nobody else. By nobody else. you got a new name. No longer am I called forsaken. I will never be forsaken. What we need to see is this. Who we are, as with the ancient Israelites, our name, our name that the Lord gives us is wrapped up with His name. In fact, we share His name. We share His name. Now, that doesn't make sense. We're thinking Western categories, but think in biblical categories. Because the name is part of the, the person. 
We are made, it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we're made participants in His divine nature. And one way of saying that is we share, we, we participate in His name. We participate in His essence. We're never His essence, but we participate in it by His invitation. He shares His name with us. Here's some of the ways that the Bible communicates this. On the one hand, the Bible says that, that uh, Jesus is our head and we are His body, right? Am I right? Of course I'm right. Uh, he's, he's, I'm always right, right? He, he's the head and we're the body. Now, now think about this. When was the last time you ever heard someone call their body a different name than their head? I'm Greg. And that's all of me, okay? You don't call my hand Charlie and my toe Betty and my knee Gerta or Dita or something. No, I'm all Greg, all of you, okay? That includes everything about me, all right? So it is with the Lord. If we're His body and He's our head, His name is shared with us. We're named by His name. Who we are is wrapped up in who He is. Who He is is wrapped up in who we are. Another way the Bible gets at this, and it's a glorious truth, is that we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. He's married to us. Now, in, ancient, in the ancient world, in fact, in most of the modern world until very recently, when, when, a, when a woman married a man, she took on his name. And part of that was an ownership thing because throughout most of the world when a woman married a man, she was owned by the man. So part of that's an ownership thing. And that's wonderful when we apply it to Christ. It's not so wonderful when we apply it on a human level. But you're getting the concept here. But also it's a covenant thing where the husband and wife were saying, we're going to have one name, which now you know means one essence. We're going to have one mission statement. We're going to have one purpose together. Our destinies are wrapped up with one another. And so also, saints of God, you've got to know this. When Jesus marries us, He really marries us, which means our, uh, who He is it, it involves us, and who we are certainly involves Him, and we have a destiny together. That's why He says in, in John chapter uh, what is it, 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Why? So that where I am, you may be. You may be with me always. Where I'm going, I want you to go. I want to live eternally with you, praise God. We share His name. Another way the Bible gets at this is, is through the concept of being sealed. Sealed. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ. Look at that phrase. You're included in Christ. Salvation isn't this long distance relationship. You're smack dab in the middle. You're put in Jesus Christ. And when you were included in Christ, you got a new reality, you got a new name. When you were included in Christ, uh, you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, that's what got you in on this. You said yes to it. Having believed, you were marked. You were marked, designated, set apart in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of His glory. Hallelujah. A seal in the ancient world was... Uh, uh, in the ancient Roman world, it was this wax thing. They, they, they'd make wax soft, and then they'd put it on something that uh, they wanted to own. Yeah, maybe it was a document, maybe it was a possession, whatever. And they had an insignia ring or a stamp, and they'd put their name on it. They'd seal it. And now it is mine. It can't be reversed. It's mine. And you, it, it's sealed with that. So also the Bible says that when you believe, He stamps His name on you. Praise God. But he doesn't use a stupid piece of wax. He uses the Holy Spirit himself. He uses himself, he uses himself to seal us. We've got his name, and as you know, the name is part of who he is, and the part of who he is that is, is now in us that seals us, that marks us as his, is the Holy Spirit within us. 
Praise God. You see, the reality is this. He is the one who bought us with a price, an incomprehensible price, right? He's the one who died for us. He's the one who redeemed us, who bought us from the marketplace. Once we belong to the devil, but we don't belong to him anymore, we've got the name of the Lord on our, in, in our hearts, all right? Once we were named by grandmother or named by stepmother or named by some dweeb on the, on the school bus, but now we're named by Jesus Christ. We're His. We belong to Him. Right across our forehead and in our heart is marked property of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Bought with an insurmountable price. Owned and cherished. And God doesn't say, I just want to mark my name on it. He says, I want to live inside of them. I want to dwell inside of them. I want to change them from the inside out. Praise God. And His power is there. His love is there. His joy is there. In fact, all that He is, He gives to us by grace. And what blows my mind about the whole thing is this. He says, you know what, this is just a down payment. It's a little security deposit. It's, it's like, you know, here's a little assurance that, so you know that more is coming. Now, in the light of all that He's given us, if this is a down payment, what does the full payment look like? Praise God. Oh, man. But because we're His, we belong to Him. We bear His name. It says in the book of Revelation that uh, the Lord wrote His name across their forehead. Praise God. Uh, that's the way of uh, the ancient world of a slave being marked and branded by the one who owned them. So it is with us and, and Jesus Christ. We need to see the saints of God. We need to see this Holy Spirit. Help us to see this. Who we are is wrapped up into who He is. Who He is is wrapped up into who we are. We bear His name. We share His name in every aspect of that glorious name. I no longer am. My name is no longer forsaken. My name is never shall be forsaken. My name is no longer I am bad. My name now is I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. My name is no longer troublemaker. My name is peacemaker. My name is, is, is no longer alone. My name is never alone. Praise God. Sometimes it's good for you to just savor on. In fact, it's necessary for us to savor, to cherish the names, the sentences, the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. What is our name? Well, here's what I know about my name. My name, my name is I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. How's that? That's my name. That's what I'm going to answer to. That's my identity. That's my I am. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I am, here's my name, seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am righteousness of God. I am precious jewel in the hand of God. I am a crown of jewels in the hand of God. Praise God. I am, I am, here's what I answer to, radiant bride of Christ. I am filled with Holy Spirit. I am dances with Holy Spirit. How's that? I am standing with a fist in the face of the devil. Hallelujah. I am got the devil under my feet. Amen. I am filled with the joy of God. I am filled with the peace of God. I am filled with the power of God. I am one through whom the love of God flows. I am one whom God dances over. I am one whom God delights over. I am one who is filled with the joy of God. Praise God. That's who I am. That's my essence. And so it is with you if you're a believer. The question is this. Do you own that name? Do you own that name? Do you internalize that name? Do you make it part of your consciousness? Not just when someone asks you about who you are in Christ. It's easy to give the right answer there, maybe, if you've been around here for very long. But, but, but what do you think of? What is your name when you're driving on Monday morning? What is your name when you're looking in the mirror on Tuesday night? What is your name when you're in a conflict with somebody on Wednesday afternoon? What do you call yourself? What names define yourself? As long as we're living in the old names, we give other people authority to define us. I am victim. Well, if that's your name, you'll always be victim. And whoever victimized you has authority, God's authority in your life. But you're a child of God. You belong to no one other than God. Break the name and own the new name that He's given to you. Don't be anyone's footnote to the stuff that they've done to you or said to you. No, you're owned by Jesus Christ. Here's another thing we've got to see. 
is that we don't achieve our name. We don't achieve. You didn't achieve the name Charlie or Greg or Sam or Jeff or Dwayne. You don't achieve that name. It's given to you. And if we're understanding things biblically, the names that we absorb, the I am's that we absorb, they are, rather than us getting them, they define us, you see, spiritually and, and psychologically. Now, Daniel, I'm sure there were times where he didn't perfectly manifest, God is my deliverer. I'm sure, sure there were times when Mishael didn't perfectly manifest, who is like God. People would look at his life and maybe there are times where they, they, it didn't occur to them to think, who is like God? They'd wonder, why did he get that name? It apparently didn't stick. You know, he's, something's off here. I'm sure there were times where they fell, where they sinned, where they did stupidity like the rest of us do. But you see, if you know who your name is, you get up, you brush your pants off, you say, that was really dumb. I forgot who I am, but I know who I am. I am God as gracious. I am God as my helper. I am who is like God. And, and I'm going to live in that. But if you don't know what your name is apart from your doing, you'll always be defined by your doing. I'll say that again. If you don't know what your name is apart from your doing, you'll always be defined by your doing. Know who your name is. It's given to you. God gives it to you by His grace, by His mercy. He, he speaks and there is light. He speaks and there's new reality. He speaks a new name into you. And it is so. Live in that. And as you live in that, as you own that, as you walk in that, now things begin to change. You begin to manifest different things in your life. Don't be defined by the outside in. Be defined by the inside out. You don't achieve your name. No, it's just given to you. It's just given to you. Sometimes people say this. Well, you know, it feels like a, I feel like I'm a hypocrite if I go around saying I am, I am the righteousness of God. I am the joy of God when, when, when I don't feel that. If I don't feel it, then how can I say it? See, a very important decision is what is Lord of your life, feelings or, or Jesus? It really comes down to this, and it's so, so very, very vital. I feel like a hypocrite if I say that I am light when really I'm darkness. That's kind of like this. If I come into this room and this room is dark and I say, I want to turn the light, and somebody says, oh, you can't do that, that'd be hypocritical. And I go, why? Well, because it's dark in here. That's why I want to turn on the light. (laughs) You see, light is truer than darkness. You turn on the light and the darkness flees. Don't, Don't try to, like... Shout the darkness away so that now you can turn on the light and not be a hypocrite. No. The way you, you get rid of the darkness is by turning on the light. So it is with us. Yeah, you know what? There's darkness. There's darkness in our lives. But uh, that's not the truest thing about us if we know what our name is. It's time to turn on the light. You see, Jesus is the light of this world, and the name that he gives us is light to our brains, and it's light to our minds, and when we manifest it, it's light to the world. It's time to turn on the light. It's time to begin to let that light shine. Let the darkness flee away, praise God. Let it go. Let it go. Be defined by what God says about you, not by what anyone else says about you. Cancel those old authorities in your life. So what is your name? What is your name? Now here's, I want to close with this. I've turned this into a classroom. And so I, I'm, I'm being a professor here, not that I'm not a professor at Bethel anymore, which feels very good, by the way, but I love Bethel. But uh, I've I, I got to take all my professorial stuff over here. That's why I got glasses, really. I don't even need them. I just want to look more profe- professorial. Here's an assignment. Number one, two things here, okay, and lock this in. Start noticing the names that you have. See, we're so used to our names, we don't even notice them. They're, our, they're on our autopilot. We just do them. Start waking up to them. It's especially good to wake up to them when we do something that we know is not consistent with who we are in Christ. Behind it is an I am that led you to do it. There's a name that you're calling yourself. Become aware of that. Just become aware of that. Don't get mad at it. Don't get, you know, fight it and all that kind of stuff. That's just more darkness. Just notice it. And then secondly, do, do this other thing. You stop it 
by simply remembering what your true name is. Okay, don't, don't get mad at the darkness. Just turn on the stupid light. Or actually, the wonderful light. Is he just turn on the light. Okay, so here's this. The, I don't know where you got it. I don't know who you're, who you're given authority to define you, but there it is. It's the I am. All the, the other day, I was, my wife will tell you this, I was downstairs trying to change a light bulb, which is a very sad thing for me. And I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't change the stupid light bulb. And I, I found myself doing I am stupid. I, I am incompetent, which when it comes to technology, I probably am. But you know what? I'm not going to let that define me. Uh, so I just noticed this. I couldn't get my hand in there to change this light bulb. There had to be. They, the light bulb got in there. There must be a way of getting it out. I found myself, I do this indictment thing. Like, I'm stupid. You know, Shirley can change these things, but I can't. I start beating myself up and I start getting mad. And so I just stepped back and I said, wait a minute. I may not be the brightest bulb in the room, but I'm smart enough to change this stupid light bulb. There must be a way to do this. And you just think, how'd they get it in there? Well, with a little thought, I could pull this stupid thing out. It looked like it was part of the ceiling, but you could pull it out, and then you could get at the light bulb. I changed the light bulb! I changed the light bulb! I am light bulb changer! Well, catch the names... Stop those names and, and, and notice the name that's driving you and give yourself a new name. Here's a good strategy. The, the name that the Lord calls you, the, your true mission. When, when you come up with a deceptive name, uh, a name that comes from someone else's authority, just, just, this is your computer, you can program it however you want, just do, put a little post-it note on there that now this name will only serve to remind you about who you are. I am ugly comes up, don't start getting mad at that kid again. No, you're still being defined by it. Just... When it comes up, that, note, that name now serves to remind you that you are really beautiful. It's like, oh, oh I, I'm beautiful. I'm stupid. Oh, no, I have the mind of Christ. Uh, you know, I, 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 I always fall in this area. Oh, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and let those names just serve to remind you about who you are. And then live in that, chew on that, digest that, and be transformed by that. Know who your name is. You share the name of the Lord God Almighty. Praise God. And that's what defines you and nothing else. Would you close your eyes in prayer? I want to end by asking this question. Is there anybody here who's never accepted the name of the groom? You've never accepted the name of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is this. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you haven't. doesn't matter. You haven't surrendered your heart. The Bible says to do that, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to give everybody in this auditorium a chance to do that if you've never done that before. So if you just raise your hand, if you want to say, I want to be a Christian, I want to, I want to get that new name, that new definition in Christ Jesus, just raise your hand. Is there anybody here who's never done that? I want to give you the chance to do it. Raise your hand very high. And then I'll, I'll, we'll pray, on you for, pray, pray with you from up here. We'll all join you in this. Just raise your hand. Is there anybody here at all who wants to surrender their life to Jesus Christ? Back there, I see a few people. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Amen. You say, I, I, I want that love. I want that life. Raise your hand. And, and uh, we'll just pray with you from here. This is the beginning of getting in on Jesus Christ. Amen. I see the hand. Anybody else? Okay, whether you raise your hand or not, if this is in your heart to do this, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, pray out loud. Because there's power in words. Pray out loud this prayer with me. We'll join with you on it. But pray from the depths of your heart. Heavenly Father, I confess that you are Lord. You are God. You are King. And you alone have the right to define me. I confess that I have not lived for you. I am a sinner in need of your grace. 
But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Make me new. Change me. Help me live for God the rest of my life. I surrender everything over to you. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. You bear His name. Amen. Wonderful. All the angels in heaven rejoice. Hallelujah. Amen. Wonderful. Now, if you made that that decision this morning, or if you're just interested in finding out more about that decision, I want to encourage you to stop on the way out for one minute in the back of this auditorium. In the middle of the auditorium, there's a table right back there. It said, New Believers Information. Stop at that table. We've got some information we'd like to share with you that will really help you. In fact, it's necessary to get started in the Christian life. Would the prayer team come forward? And if there's any need that you have this morning that you'd like to spend some time praying over, maybe it's to get some of the lying names that you've got going on in your head to get them out of there, come forward. You can pray at the altar. You can pray with these folks. Otherwise, go forth, know your name, recite your name, answer to that name, and let the love of God flow in you and through you to a world that desperately needs it. We love you guys. God bless.